In this episode, we continue our Q&A session regarding what baffles people about playing the bagpipes. So we have uh, quite a few people here, um, like uh, Stein here says, when I over or under blow, that baffles you a lot, okay? And then Linda says here, just in these comments now, I appreciate your question, that she has a serious problem with overblowing. What can you do to cure that? So um, the bottom line with blowing is that we need to know for sure that overblowing or underblowing or whatever is actually the problem. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Sometimes we assume that we have uh, an overblowing problem, but what we really have is a chronic underblowing problem, and where we're actually overblowing to is actually where we should be pressure-wise. Okay, and we need to identify exactly what pressure we're shooting for, and the manometer can help us do that. Uh, at, at Dojo U, we call that finding the sweet spot. Okay, there's an exact sweet spot on the chanter read that we can shoot for to get the best possible quality sound out of our chanter read, right? That's the line. So our ability to hit that line is really the major question. Okay, if we can hit that line all the time, that means we're blowing steadily, and we're doing so at the point where the read sounds the best. Okay, now, we might not necessarily have an overblowing problem if your pressure is always underneath that sweet spot, right? If the pressure is always underneath the sweet spot, that means you have an underblowing problem, right? And the same here, Stein is asking over here on the Facebook wall, uh, when I over or underblow, right? So sometimes he's underblowing, that baffles you a lot too. So let me urge you to do this. Identify the sweetest possible pressure on the chanter read, and you can look through. We talked about this a couple episodes ago on Piper's Dojo TV, uh, just a little bit more detail about how to do that. And then obviously uh, we talk about that often at Dojo U. It's one of the number one aspects of producing a great quality bagpipe sound. Okay, but uh, you want to identify exactly where you should be blowing pressure-wise and use that manometer to visually see where you should be. Then you decide whether or not you have an over or under blowing problem and then we can address it. Okay, so that would be step one for you there, which I think um, is really interesting. So, next question. Scott says, high notes off of regular scale baffles me. Okay, and I asked him to clarify this, and he said he's just starting with the chanter. He's having difficulty knowing whether or not I'm hitting the right pitch with the high notes. Okay, and this goes back to my earlier response, with, which is it's all about knowing the melody beforehand of what you're trying to do, knowing and learning that, and then we're going to try to replicate that on our practice chanter. Okay, that's so, so, so important. We're not going to go the other way. So the tutor does not teach us how things go. And, well, unless, of course, there's like a, a CD or something that we can listen to, okay? But just sort of philosophically speaking, okay, we don't want to, you know, use bagpipes to sort of uncover this magical design. It's not paint by numbers. It's not bagpipe by numbers here. Instead, we want to know how things go. For example, most of us know how Mary Had a Little Lamb goes, okay? Then our objective is to use 
you know, bagpipe technique in order to get that to come out really well on the chanter. Then later on, we might learn a tune like Scotland the Brave. Well, we really need to know how that tune goes in order to make it come out well. And so, Scott, you're in the very early stages there. So it's, you know, it takes experimentation. It takes time. You have to find some total focus time in order to um, learn this stuff. And remember, you have to start with uh, the idea in mind. Think about a novelist, right? If a novelist tried to just write a novel based on, like, the based on like a, you know, like some sort of primer that teaches you how to construct sentences, right? How's that going to go? Is the novel going to come out very well? No. The, um, the author has to have an image of what they want to come out first, and then they're going to use all of their great techniques of writing, you know? Then they can use that tutor that Stephen King put out about how to write amazing novels, right? Then they can use that to take their idea and mold it into something that's really, uh, you know, amazing. Is there a video on using the manometer in the archives? Yes, there are many, many, many. So, uh, Jimmy, if you want to send me a Facebook message or, so, or something, I can hook you up there. Um, so uh, thank you for that question. All right, next up, Andra says, Chanter reads! Exclamation point. I have been testing many types of reads. The ridge cut reeds are nice and bright, but are not lasting very long. They break in about two to three weeks, and then they get too easy in another two to three weeks. The molded reeds, okay, so those are reeds without the ridges on them, so they're just sort of straight, you know, you, you might call them straight cut, are easier to manipulate and seem to last longer, but they don't have the great bright sound. I'm with you on this. Okay, on all reeds, we are struggling with the G grace notes scurling on low A and G because we need to tape to flatten the high G. Okay. That second thing is a different issue altogether. But let's talk about reeds first. So ridge cut reeds and straight cut reeds, um, both of them, you have to select them harder than you want them to actually end up. Because as we mentioned early in, earlier in the show, there is a break-in period, usually 10 hours, maybe a little bit more. And that's 10 hours of actual playtime. So if you practice for an hour, but you really only play your pipes for like 20 minutes during the hour, it could take you two to three weeks, like you're saying, in order for those reads to break in. So they sure enough, do they, they definitely will get easier. So your job is to pick those harder reads and allow them to break into that point that you need. Um, different reads, based on the way that they're made, presumably, right? take different amounts of time to break in the way that you want them to. So it's all about experimentation and doing things the way that they need to go. Now, the next issue is uh, too much tape on high G. Okay, uh, let's see. We're struggling with G grace notes, scurling on low A and G because you tape to flatten the high G. So what you're missing here is that the reed is too far in the reed seat. The reed needs to be raised up. Okay, which will help balance out the high hand tuning with the low hand tuning. And in the winter time, especially if it's cold and dry, this can be a little bit of a difficult process where it's hard to get what you need to get. But by raising the reed, okay, um, what we call the graduated tuning effect, which is the high hand actually changes more when you raise the reed than the notes on the bottom hand will. Okay, and there's a scientific reason for that, which we won't go into today. But uh, by utilizing the graduating tuning effect, raising the reed will flatten those high hand notes for you and bring them much better into tune relative to the bottom hand notes. 
and that is the name of the game to help remove tape on high G. All right, uh, moisture in the reed will help bring the high G back down to earth. Um, better, more stable, more humid environments will help that as well. So that's why the summertime, the high G tends not to be quite as much of a problem. But yeah, the bottom line is you have to raise those reeds up. Next one, Carol says, tuning drones baffles her. You wear hearing aids and without them, I don't hear the getting close vibrato. Okay, which is, that makes sense to me. And with them, you overcorrect. I hate still relying on a tuning meter. So do I. Uh, and I know I'm not hitting the zone. Okay, so Carol, again, that's, that go, all goes back to experimentation and uh, removing variables, kind of like we were saying earlier. So start with uh, just one tenor drone and one bass drone and cork everything else off and then spend time doing the radio tuning technique, which is just moving it out of tune, moving it back into tune, exploring that range, just like you would dial a radio to get the clearest possible signal. You do the same with your drones to get them as best as you possibly can in tune. Remembering that there is no final destination and the objective is always to just get it a little bit closer on the next move that you were in the previous one. And if you're wrong, that's fine. It's actually a good thing because you're realizing that it got worse, then you go the other way uh, to correct it. Okay, so that's um, the question there. That's my response to that. And, uh, you know, it takes practice. Uh, but the game plan is very, very simple. And I can't speak to wearing hearing aids. I could imagine that adds in a whole nother layer of challenge. However, the process would remain the same, right? Which is you have to experiment and you have to figure out how to teach yourself to hear things. And uh, I use the radio tuning technique still to this day, despite the fact that I'm a very experienced tuner. It's all about trial and error and zeroing in on the target. So Tim, also asking about blowing and squeezing the bag. You can tune the pipes fairly well, learn to read music, but by far the hardest element is blowing and squeezing. So again, um, you need a target to aim at, right? Just like an archer aims arrows at a target in order to improve their um, you know, aim or a sniper uh, can dial in the scope and use a target uh, to help him uh, dial in exactly you know how things are lining up. We can and should use the same sort of tool and that tool is the manometer. Okay, So great question. I hope that people are starting to see just how helpful the manometer can be after approaching that a couple times today.